This episode of the Security Ledger podcast is sponsored by Panther. Panther was founded by a team of security practitioners who face the challenges of security operations at scale and set out to build a platform to solve them. The result was Panther, a modern SIM platform for security operations at scale. Panther gives security teams the power to detect any breach anywhere and is trusted by customers like Snowflake, Dropbox, Zapier, and more. Learn more at panther.com. Hello and welcome to the Security Ledger podcast. I'm Paul Roberts, Editor-in-Chief at the Security Ledger, in this episode of the podcast number 247. The thing that I've always struggled with SIMS is you have vendors building SIMS over in the corner and then you have practitioners and there's massive gap in between where Mm -hmm. SIM vendors don't actually understand what the practitioners are doing. And that's, I think, why this big disconnect exists where there's a lot of SIMS people just ubiquitously hate. But it's the it's like a necessary evil is what people learn to live with. But I don't think that has to be the way anymore. One of the biggest challenges for cybersecurity companies that charge to market promising to fight cyber criminals and other miscreants is that the landscape on which they battle is constantly changing. The ongoing parade of major breaches and cyber incidents is proof of that. And yet, as in kinetic war with each new incident, The seeds of the next generation of security defenses and weaponry are sown. Take our guest this week. Jack Naglieri is the CEO and co-founder of Panther, a company that's trying to reinvent the market for SIM, security information and event management technology. The germ of the idea for the new company started with Naglieri's experience early on working in incident response at Yahoo, as that company dealt with fallout from a massive breach at the hands of Russian intelligence that ultimately exposed data on around 3 billion, with a B, Yahoo user accounts, the largest known data breach in history. The size and scale of Yahoo's operations, complicated by a mix of acquisitions and natively developed technologies, on-premises and cloud-based systems, and more, exacerbated the challenge of doing incident response. Furthermore, the tools available for IR at the time, including SIMS, were too rigid and slow to scale to the challenge. For Naglieri, the experience at Yahoo and subsequent work for Airbnb highlighted the need for a new kind of security persona, what Naglieri calls the detection engineer, essentially a security analyst who can also code. He also saw the need for a new kind of SIM one capable of making sense of massive real-time streams of data from diverse platforms, and one capable of what Naglieri terms detection as code, the ability to use common coding languages like Python to fine-tune detections, rather than asking security analysts to master arcane and proprietary scripting languages. Jack joined me in the Security Ledger studios to talk about his journey in the information security space and the experiences that led him to launch Panther. We also talk about the ever-evolving challenge of incident response and how the first generation of SIMS is showing its age and leaving organizations in the lurch. To start off, I asked Jack to tell us a bit about himself and Panther, the company he started. My name is Jack Naglieri. I'm the founder and CEO of Panther. Jack, welcome to Security Ledger Podcast. Thanks for having me. So for folks who aren't familiar with you, or with Panther. Could you just give us your uh, your origin story and also talk about Panther and uh, what the company does? Sure. 
I'll give you the short and sweet version of my origin story. So I moved out to Silicon Valley in 2012, got a job at Yahoo as an incident responder on their security team, worked there for about four and a half years in the years of their biggest breach, which also was the biggest breach ever on the internet, which isn't really a brag. It's just a fact. <laughs> I think so, a billion users, if I recall, I think. Something like that. It was pretty yeah. ridiculous. I obviously can't talk about that, but... Um, so was around in the company during those days and then worked on the IR team for a while, transitioned into being a security engineer because doing incident response at that scale was pretty much impossible. And the tools that we had just weren't working. So I wanted to try and build, build and deploy tools that would make my life as an incident responder much easier by getting the right data, formatting it properly, and being able to search it and having data retained for more than a few weeks or months, which is very common in a lot of sims. And then after that, after Yahoo, I moved to Airbnb, doing the same thing, but in a cloud native environment. And Airbnb was really in its blitz scaling stage at that point. We were thousands of employees and mm -hmm. all around the world, and it was really gaining a lot of popularity just more generally in the in the culture in the travel culture and it was really an incredible time and moment for me as an individual to learn about the cloud learn about aws things like that during that time we built an open source to tool called stream alert stream alert and stream alert was a data analysis framework built on a bunch of aws services like lambda and kinesis and s3 and it really allowed us to have an alternative to sim that was much more scalable cheaper faster and more mm -hmm. flexible. And we established our security monitoring program all around StreamAlert and all around this idea of automation and serverless and really cool new tech. We also built another tool called Binary Alert that also was released, which is similar, but for binary analysis using Yara rules. And then we had a few other things internally that we never released. But that really became the inspiration and precursor to what Panther became, StreamAlert, not Binary Alert. And because of the success of StreamAlert, we really saw that, okay, this is actually a huge need. And we're seeing a lot of big companies out in Silicon Valley and beyond really adopt this paradigm of streaming analysis, detection as code, and then eventually what led into a lot of the work that we do around data lakes. Mm -hmm. Because sims were just super slow, super expensive, really rigid and not really built for yeah. the engineering security persona that we all were, because we knew that the engineering personas required to scale a security program. So that brought me, and this isn't a short version at all, I'm sorry, <laughs> a little bit longer. The short version would be three sentences. <laughs> but after Airbnb, I started a company and it's actually kind of an interesting origin story because I obviously had zero entrepreneurial experience at that point. All I had done was work inside security teams and build tools and operate at a big scale. And that's really all I knew. But what's so fascinating about startups and Silicon Valley just in general is there's a constant process that's happening on the venture side where people are just trying to figure out like, what are the biggest next problems to go solve? And an investor who was thinking about this in the ops world reached out to me and was like, hey, I saw your project. I saw StreamAlert, it looks really cool would you be willing to have a conversation? And I was like, sure. So I was already thinking about if I wanted to try and create a company around this anyway. I 
thought it'd be really cool to work on this full time. And that was always the motivation. It wasn't ever me wanting to build a company. It was just this project is impactful and it's super interesting to me. And it's allowed me to learn so much and grow so much as an individual. And I'd love to continue making it as good as it can be. And there was just this pattern where I would have hopped from company to company had I not done this and just rebuilt this over and over again. Because that's a pattern that happens all the time in big Silicon Valley companies or really just any company at a massive scale. Mm-hmm. There just aren't off-the-shelf tools that really work. Yeah. So I met this investor and we had a really long conversation about what this could be and was leading with, hey, like this is a really big problem in security and this is really the angle that Streamalert is designed for. It's designed for security. And a few weeks later, we were like, let's start a company. So he incubated Panther from the beginning, and then we built our first versions of our product. And Panther was really designed to be the continuation of that idea of what if we built a sim that, I like to say, a sim that doesn't suck, (laughs) just because it's (laughs) funny. But in a lot of ways, most sims just generally suck. And Mm -hmm. they suck because they're poorly designed, Mm -hmm. super expensive. They really don't align Mm -hmm. to what... uh, Mass customization, right? You need an expert just to get it to work, yeah. Right. But I think the thing that I've always struggled with Sims is you have vendors building Sims over in the corner and then you have practitioners and there's massive gap in between where Mm -hmm. Sim vendors don't actually understand what the practitioners are doing. So what ends up happening is we build a lot of these tools around the Sim because of that. And that's, I think, why this big disconnect exists where there's a lot of Sims people just ubiquitously hate. But it's the it's like the necessary evil is what people learn to live with. But I don't think that has to be the way anymore. I think that having a company that's specifically designed with a practitioner in mind is so important. And that's why I'm really, really excited about what we're building and what we will build, will continue to build for many years going forward. So started the company in 2018, just after leaving Airbnb. This investor helped me incubate the company. We made our first hires. And then we were just trying to figure out, like, where do we even begin? Because Sim is such a massive problem. There's so many components to it. There's the data element. There's the analysis. There's a response. There's alerting. There's pulling data. There's routing to your team. There's false positives mm-hmm. and incident management. And it's just like the list goes on. There's enrichment. I didn't even talk about that. There's so much that goes into it. It could literally be four or five different companies. We're a single company, and we're trying to take this massive problem on. So... Eventually, what we ended up doing in 2020, about a year and a half later after starting, was we open sourced a lot of the stuff that we had built. And effectively, what it was is it was a better architected stream alert with a user interface and really building the idea around UI-driven workflows in addition to a lot of the command line-driven workflows that existed in stream alert. But the problems with client-based workflows is that analysts basically just can't use them. It's all right. GitHub oriented and an mm-hmm. analyst going from a pure analyst job, which is looking at logs and understanding the security context of them from a developer, like to a developer workflow is a huge. So mm-hmm. the whole idea with Panther in the beginning was let's build something that's faster, even more scalable and starts to abstract these workflows into a UI. And then that way we still want the scale components and things like that. And we created a really scalable platform today. We have some customers that send us upwards of a petabyte of data per month, which is pretty wow. remarkable yeah. Yeah. because I don't, think, I don't think any other SIM in the world is able to do that. And 
there's obviously like asterisks around that, right? It depends on the pipeline that you're using. And like, there's, there's always edge cases with SIM, which makes it also very hard to build. And no one is consistent. No one's even consistent with how they name their detection and response teams. Everyone calls it something different. Sometimes it's a CSERT team. Sometimes mm -hmm. it's a detection team. Sometimes it's like some random phrase the CISO made up. It doesn't really have any consistency, which is hard. Yeah. But so going back like 2020, we open source in January. We open source this very like V0 version of what we had built. It had some other features as well, like cloud security scanning and just scanning your AWS account, modeling your resources as JSON, and then being able to use detections as code to analyze it. In addition to the core part of the platform, which is taking in your log data, normalizing it, and then allowing you to run detection as code on it. So it's basically Python functions that you can run on data as it streams, and then it lands in a data lake, and then you can query it with SQL. And those pipelines, just historically, are extremely nuanced, extremely hard to create and manage. And the fact that you can basically, with zero work, just onboard all of your data, it gets normalized, and then you can stream it at any scale, stream and analyze it at any scale, this is a pretty remarkable step function increase, right? That's really strong zero to 10. I wouldn't even say it's a zero to one. There's the 10 to 100, which is basically what we're working on now. And we have been working on building the primitives for, which is how do we abstract all those technical things out? So teams get the benefit of scale and these workflows of detection as code without having to understand the technical nuance of it. So when we open sourced, that was the start of this is how do we get people using this? And it was fairly successful. Like we had a few hundred GitHub stars and we people using it. And really my goal was, I just want 10 customers. I just want 10 people paying for this. Mm -hmm. And then I know we have a business. And that's what we were able to do at the end of 2020, which was really remarkable. And also keep in mind the time frame here. We yeah. opened source in January 2020. Hmm. Pandemic. What was happening in January 2020? I remember that. And... It's a little thing called the coronavirus. <laughs> Starting to show up on Twitter, yeah. people are talking about it. Like, oh yeah, this, this thing out of China, what's going to happen? Yeah. Everyone's like, that's ah, fine. I'm going to keep going out. I'm going to keep flying and stuff. And then lo and behold, <laughs> March, we go into full lockdown. And I'm at this point, we've raised four and a half million. Mm -hmm. We have, I think we had 12 people in the company. Uh -huh. And we had zero customers, zero revenue. And I was just like... And what staring down the barrel at a what? global yeah. pandemic that seems to be cratering economies. <laughs> but the thing that's interesting is we'd already built the company pretty remote. Mm -hmm. And I had a handful of employees out in Europe at that time because one of my earliest employees is this, this engineer who was ex-Amazon. And to his credit, him and one other, they're the reason that our architecture is so scalable because they mm -hmm. built it for Amazon. And Amazon scale is like, mind-blowing yeah. yeah. they told us like the scale of things they were doing per day and i was just like that's crazy but also please design this for me yeah. <laughs> you clearly know what you're doing <laughs> and no, but yes that's one of the great greatest joys of being a founder is not being the smartest person in the room and in empowering and hiring really great people who have remarkable experience so that's anyway because we had those people spread out when the pandemic happened it wasn't a huge change to the company because we had already established our written culture. We'd established things like Scrum and I've always brought Scrum with me anywhere I went, even in the Yahoo days. I learned DevOps, I almost said from a young age, which is funny, but from my time as a security yeah. analyst to make that jump to engineer, I had to learn DevOps because I was deploying 
tools at a massive scale. And that's really hard to do when you have hundreds of thousands of systems of different operating systems. And think about Yahoo, right? They've they'd been around for 20 years. They had acquired companies. They had this crazy combination of like on-prem and cloud. It was a really unique experience that I probably would have never had anywhere else unless I was at Facebook or Google or some company of that scale. And yeah. that really helped. Even Yahoo obviously predates both those companies, right? And they really yeah. are an OG. For sure. That. And they had incredibly talented engineers at that company, people who built infrastructure as code before it was a thing. So making that transition to things like Chef and Terraform was so fascinating and watching that happen. But anyways, so Panther was fairly remote when the pandemic started, but we were still such a young company and I had no idea if we were going to survive. So thankfully we survived. And I would say actually we, we ended up thriving during that time because our whole business was built in the pandemic and it's really challenging to build a startup in general. So adding pandemic on top of that was a fun experience. Yeah. But 2021 was such a whirlwind of a year. 2021 was the year that we took our team from like 20 to 100. We scaled our customer adoption in a similar fashion to that. And we signed on some incredible companies and teams to use Panther, like GitLab, for example, and many others, Dropbox, et cetera. And these are all on our website. Yeah. Yeah. Some, and some that was a really, yeah. yeah, it was really amazing and really hard at the same time. And we were trying to really build the company to support that growth. And that was the mm -hmm. first time I ever really felt that pull and that scale. And it was a really remarkable time. So that kind of leads to where we are today, which is how do we continue to evolve, right? Because I always want to be a company that's evolving and continually fixing, improving the lives of security practitioners. That's the reason that we exist. We exist because I didn't want to just keep building Sims internally myself. I thought there was a better way and I'm also not the best person in the world to do it. So I want to try and hire the best team that I can from all these different backgrounds. And we've been able to do that, which is really remarkable. And the whole goal now is like what I was saying before, how do we abstract a lot of the technical underpinnings that have to exist for Sim to be successful and make it approachable for the broader market. So we end this pain of Sim suck and all they do is throw me false positives. And it's actually funny. I was, I did a poll on Twitter the other day. I'm actually pulling it up right now so I can see what the latest is. And I asked the question, I was like, what percentage of your alerts are false positives? And more than 50%, actually 50% said 75% and more yeah. are false positive. That's so insane. Yeah. That's crazy to me. That's so <laughs> mind blowing to me. 15% said zero to 25. So that means overwhelmingly 90% have at least a quarter of their, actually probably even more than that, 75% of teams, at least half of their alerts are false positive. That's so crazy. Yeah. Do you think some of that is just because of the, shall we say, the advanced age of many of the prominent SIM platforms? You know, think about Splunk. That's a product really that's, I don't know how old Splunk is now. It's certainly more than a decade old. Maybe, Very old. Maybe, yeah. And really designed in some ways for an earlier era than the one that we inhabit now. And that was the whole premise for why I started the company. Because companies like Elastic and Splunk and even Sumo Logic, for that matter, are all very yep. old companies and they, I'll give them credit. I don't want to say that it's a terrible business and it's a terrible product because it really did serve a need and it still does serve the need today, right? If you go even further back before those tools, it was really first gen Sims. 
before mm -hmm. them, right? And then we moved to the log analytics platforms because those sims didn't scale and they weren't flexible enough. And now that pattern is happening again. History is repeating, but this time it's the cloud version. And if you're not doing these primitive things like structuring your data and operating in a cloud native environment, you're going to always live in this world of ops hell. And it's such a distraction. It's such an unnecessary distraction for security teams. Mm -hmm. like, they need to be operating at a much higher level than that. They need to be thinking about what can I strategically do instead of tactically like putting out fires. And that's the only way the security teams are actually going to evolve over time. Because if we're always being re reactive and not proactive, then nothing really gets better. Kind of term definition, you mentioned detection as code. Could you just for our audience sort of explain what you mean by that? Yeah, it's actually a lot more basic than people probably think. As security practitioners, we've always written little Python scripts to analyze things locally. At least I, I always did because yeah, my student sure. couldn't do it. I was like, okay, I have 50 terabytes of log data that's just sitting here on a drive somewhere in a virtual machine. I'm going to write a Python script that analyzes it. Think of detections as code as a streaming version of that. So instead of your logs living on a disk somewhere and you mm -hmm. write a Python script that loads them, imagine if you could just analyze the data as it's streaming to a data lake. And a data lake's a fancy way of saying a cloud data warehouse, like a structured cloud data warehouse. Mm -hmm. And that's really what detection as code is. It's declaring the attacker logic or the logic that you care about as the team. Mm -hmm. For example, SSH logins from not the US, very basic mm -hmm. example, right? Right. Not the most, not the best rule, but just for the purpose of better than nothing, example, right? <laughs> but you would say, okay, my Okta has an action field, action equals in Python, you'd say action equals user session start. And then the really cool thing is you could say, actually, sometimes there's a few permutations of that. Maybe I want to say it starts with user session start, or maybe I want to do a regular expression, or I want to do a list lookup or whatever, right? Like this thought process is trivial in Python. But in something like a Splunk or an Elastic or whatever, where they, those languages were all about just simplicity, it's much harder to do that logic. So we built this detection as code paradigm in StreamAlert, which I don't really think there was any other tool that, that did it before StreamAlert. Mm -hmm. And it just allows you to have so much more efficient detection creation. You would have 200 or 400 rules or whatever, but before you can condense that down in like half because you can just cover more cases in a single detection. Mm. And because the language is more flexible and more powerful, you, you, you can just, you can do things that are of like medium sophistication, which is so much ease versus this like crazy long query. You're just like, oh, what the hell is this thing doing? And right. I have no idea. Right. And then the other thing with detection as code is you can test it. You can be like, okay, given th this sample, or given these samples, I expect these two or three alerts to fire. That's awesome. And having that assurance that the thing is going to work when you put it in production is, it's table stakes at this point, right? We've been doing this in software engineering for years. Why don't we have it for security? Right. That was the whole idea behind it. So detection as code is literally just using basic Python or sub whatever language and, uh, and express your logic in Python instead of a, a domain-specific language. That's the whole idea behind it. So would a Yara rule be an example of detection as code? Yeah, it is. A Yara rule is an example, especially with what Chronicle put out, the Yara L language, which is mm -hmm. a little bit more, I don't know if it's fully Turing-complete language. I don't, yeah, I can't recall if it is. But yeah, th that's an example. I would credit them for that. 
Absolutely. One of the challenges that, that you talk about a lot is just the the difficulty of managing security across hybrid cloud environments like detection, response, correlating activity. Those are all challenges in the types of IT environments that most startups, most companies of any size at this point operate versus the old days with a traditional IT environment. Can you break it down for a little bit for us? Where are the pain points and how, and what are the challenges that companies are encountering as they're trying to correlate activity and identify emerging threats in these hybrid environments? The, the interesting thing with hybrid environments or really just logging in general, is every security team has a different tolerance about what they want to look at and what they don't want to look at. What I mean by that is some teams I know don't care about endpoint logs at all. They're like, we're not even going to look at it because it doesn't matter. At the end of the day, what matters is really? who has access to product. Yeah, I've heard of teams talking about that. Yeah, okay. Because because they assume that every device is bad in some way. They just automatically, it's like untrusted. Right. And they're like, all we care about is who's accessing our production environment and from where. I think that's a very, that's a very spicy take. Most teams don't do that. They're like, drop on CrowdStrike or Sentinel-1 and get that data somehow, right? Yeah, sure. So the first challenge in my mind is just bridging the two environments, just in general. Like, how do we get our on-prem data into the cloud? That's one challenge in, in of it itself, right? Can we, at a high scale, because production environments are very high scale, how do we get this data into the cloud? And it can be a simple answer sometimes, but it's never simple to do logging. Logging is a very challenging problem because it's highly vari like variable. Like the scales go can go up and down about 50% per day based on like traffic patterns, right? If you've ever worked in a company where you can see that, it's very common like during business hours to have like super high traffic and then less in, in the downtime, whatever that is for your company. So it's pulling the data into the cloud and then accounting for scale. That's one big issue. And then after that is the like identity and resolution. Etsy resolution is what people have been calling it, where you're saying Jack and Okta, jack.naglieri at whatever, panther.com is Jack underscore Naglieri over here. And just being able to do that resolution across everything, it's all, right. it's all very difficult. And sure. yeah. personally, I don't think anyone's really cracked it, both the scale and, and the accuracy side. I don't think anyone's done a great job of, and there's still work to be done there. But And the fact that there's so much unpredictability with on-prem data. So as a SIM provider, I have to live somewhere in the middle of that where I give enough primitives for people to pull in their custom data and then have it fit into the models that we create. And there's always a level of education that has to exist with that. So that's a challenge. But in terms of modeling attacks and things like that, I think you know, everyone would say, oh, we have MITRE attack as our, our framework for expressing detections, and yep. we're no different. We have the MITRE attack matrix in Panther. You can write a detection, map it to it, et cetera. So that's, what, that's pretty standard. People are doing that. And it, it's a great framework for visualizing the kill chain and mm -hmm. making sure that we have our bases covered, but it's by no means an end-all be-all. You still have to use you still have to use what's very specific to your environment. And the threat models in attack are a good baseline, but they're they're like I was saying, they're by no means exhaustive. So having that intuition I think is important. 
and being able to pull in your custom threat modeling and layer it on top of MITRE ATT&CK is super important. You've written about this notion of a detection engineer and you've got a Substack actually, and you've written about it there and people yeah. can check it out. So I thought that was really interesting. It's it's a new, it sounds familiar, but I think you've imagined a new role that's like an amalgam of other roles. Could you talk about the concept of detection engineer and like what the advantage of having somebody with that title and role might be? Of course. The detection <laughs> engineer is literally a security analyst who can code. <laughs> That's basically it. If you yeah. understand attacks and you've done incident response and then you learn how to code, congratulations, you're a detection engineer now. Yeah. You talked about this earlier when you were talking about the difficulty of like command line interface for mm -hmm. people who are used to, who are coming out of socks and stuff, right? Like they're yeah. not, that's not something that's familiar to them in the way that it is to a developer. For sure. And yeah. I'm being like somewhat like facetious, right? It's, yeah. yeah. It's more than that, right? It's someone who has a security background who then learns DevOps and software engineering principles, but not at a very deep level. You don't you don't need to learn um, certain things like Chef and Puppet. Maybe you do. It really depends. But I'd say you don't need to be an expert at those things like you would if you were a DevOps engineer or an infrastructure engineer. It's not that level. It's maybe a quarter or a third or a half of the level of full-on software dev. What do you need to know? That's a good question. I'd say, so as I was answering that question, I was thinking about it. Likely what you need to know is you need to understand infrastructure. So you need to understand the the, the core like 80% services or GCP or Azure or whatever cloud you're in. You need to understand those fundamentals. The big things like PubSub in, in Amazon that's Kinesis or SQS, just understanding like messaging, how data moves from one place to the other. You should pretty much understand that and have a good sense of how to build really basic pipelines. So an example of that is can you... Feed some data test three, and then can you analyze it with a Lambda function and can you build all of that yourself? That If you can actually do that, you've probably learned all the primitives that you need to be a detection engineer, which is infrastructure and software development. And then the security side is taken care of because you're an analyst by default. And I'm actually kind of giving you a little bit of a sense of what I did, yeah. right? Because I started as, I had an internship, you know, 10 years ago, probably long, longer than that at this point, it's 2022, 12 years ago. And I learned what a sim was and I learned what malware was and how to remediate that and how to reimage systems and why you do it and what you look for, right? And then once you learn that, it's cool. How do I do this at but more? How do I do this at a much bigger scale? And that's exactly what you have to learn with DevOps and software engineering. It's how do I take this one thing I did on one system and repeat it on hundreds of thousands of systems or hundreds of thousands of logs? That's exactly it's all that's all we're doing. That's all detection engineers are doing. You're operating as a security analyst but at a much bigger scale. And that's just required now. You have to do that because moving to the cloud and everyone going from in the office to fully remote, it just created more things to look at. It's, very, it's a lot simpler than we think, than we make it out to be by using these terms like detection engineer and like whatever, talking about the transition of data growing. It's, no one really talks about the very primitive element of it, which is security yeah. engineers are evolving for scale and that's all DEs are. It's the same yeah. thing. So did you have development chops before you started tooling around with Sims or was it the other way around? You you honed your chops doing a security response and working in socks and then picked up the development afterwards. I did not work on software engineering as an analyst or in socks. I never did. It probably would have been immensely useful. 
to be honest. Did you have that skill set though, or did you have to teach yourself mm -hmm. that after Yahoo? No, I so I taught myself during Yahoo because mm -hmm. I made the transition from being an analyst and just using name a big sim and Splunk. I mean, I'm not gonna say. But yeah, so nailed I, it. My background is my my major in college when I was 18 was, was information technology. It's so basic, and yeah. it, but it's very wide. <laughs> Keep in mind, like I went to school, so I went to school, and I'm dating myself, I guess, even though I'm still fairly young. But I went to college when I was it's 2008. I went to George Mason, and you know, in the DC area, it's nothing like Silicon Valley. No one talks about startups. No one talks about yeah. being an entrepreneur. There's no sense of what it means to study computer science. It's just a, such a different culture. It's very government oriented. Yeah, I was going to say, everybody and just talks about like what the agency they're going to opposite. <laughs> yeah. So I studied IT because I was like fairly technical and thought it was interesting and always was savvy with computers and didn't really know. And my family, no one in my family is as technical as I am. So I was the first one to go into this field. And with IT, I studied software development, I studied networking, and then security. And I was like, okay, I think I'm gonna focus on security. This sounds cool. I almost went into networking or development, but I was like, security feels like super important and is gonna be really needed in the next 10 to 20 years and beyond. Unsurprisingly, I guess I was correct in that. So I studied IT and then I had like really basic software experience, but nothing, nothing that's truly valuable when you're in the mm -hmm. field. And then I think it's so funny. We spend so much time thinking about school and then you go work in the real world and you're like, well, all that was useless. <laughs> and I have to literally learn everything again. Yeah. Yeah. So I picked up a bunch of books and I've always been good at learning just by by reading and applying that knowledge in real life. And that's exactly what I did. So I bought a bunch of books and learned how to code in Ruby while I was at Yahoo because I was deploying things in Chef and Chef is a Ruby language. Mm -hmm. And Chef was the way that I learned software engineering and DevOps. And the thing that's crazy about this is security, DevOps, and software are three completely different mindsets. And it's very hard to learn all three of them. Meaning if you take a DevOps engineer and you give them a security problem, they're going to be like, I don't know. It's, that's completely weird to me. Same thing if you give a software engineer a DevOps problem, they're like, yeah, item potence, deploying this out to a bunch of different machines and nodes, like I don't get it, right? And vice versa, if you give a DevOps engineer a software problem, they're going to be like, I don't know. I just write basic stuff. So it's fascinating that we have this requirement today with detection engineers that have to basically have sit at the intersection of those three things. And that's so challenging. It's so challenging to learn and find. And I think that sort of exacerbates the problem that exists today. And if we go back to the primitive part of this conversation, which is that sims have historically sucked, then this makes everything harder because now you not only have to find people with those skill sets, you have to build and manage those tools over time because the vendors have done a bad job. So I'm working backwards from that, which is, how do we provide a platform that one gets rid of the ops burden? Check, check, cloud native, good architecture, cool, that's done. And then the next part of that is like, how do we take a lot of these nuanced things that we did with detection and response, such as detection as code and CICD and these like really scalable things, and how do we abstract it? And then how do we bring in more things like incident management and in collaboration? How do we bring that back into the sim in a way that actually works? And that's really where my head is right now. So it's mm. figuring out 
what other things exist around the sim and how has it historically been and how do we make that better? Because at the end of the day, I don't want to see this anymore where people are saying, oh, 75% of my alerts are false positives. That's terrible. Like, why is it like that? Defects that. I'm kind of tired of it. And people are trying to just say, abandon sim. And, be like, and there's huge cost to organizations for that noise, right? In, in terms of missed, missed alerts and also false positives as well, but just stuff getting through. And we all know, we all see every day what the consequences of that is. For sure. And there's human consequences, right? It's, yeah. you know, there's, these For are now. people on the other side of that. And it's, uh, it's not talked about too much. Actually, it is said a lot like, oh, burnout, but we don't really talk about how to prevent that. And part of it is being a good manager and setting them up for success by helping them either in their processes or in their tooling. Final question. You're so insightful around this space and this technology. I'm really interested in where you see things going, especially we're entering a period where I think within information security, you're seeing a lot of consolidation. You're seeing a lot of buyouts and M&A and you know, layoffs too. There's a, lot of, there's a lot of movement. I'm interested in where you see this space going and obviously where you see Panther going. Yeah, I love that question. The way I've been thinking about this lately is I want to make security teams smarter and faster than attackers. That's been the thing I've been saying to myself for the last like few months. And whatever it takes to get to that point is what we're going to do. And as you allude to in the M&A comment, a lot of the tools are getting more bundled back into each other. And I think that only is going to work if you solve this false positive problem. And the reason that we built these things like SOARS is for reaction to bad SIMs. And we put them behind the SIM to validate the alerts, to ping users, to run threat intelligence and do the things that the SIMs can't do. So I think there's going to have to be an evolution where we crack the mechanism of having enough flexibility, but not too much flexibility for security teams to detect the things they actually care about and be able to respond in a way that matters. Mm. A, a story I hear too often is, oh, this thing demoed great, and then I deployed it, and it was total crap. <laughs> and I think part of that problem is, again, going back to what I was saying around mm. the vendors getting closer to the practitioners, and I think the future of security tooling has to be built with that in mind. Mm. And when I talk about what a modern security company is, it's predominantly a company that was built by a practitioner who actually understands the problem and was in in the seat of being a security person prior to being an entrepreneur. Right. So that's how I see it changing. I think that, again, it's having the right people work on the problem and approach it in a way that still reduces the overhead from security teams as much as possible to where they can actually just focus on good security work. And going back to this idea that I have around smarter and faster, it's it's really central and core to what I think about every day with our product. Because Panther and SIM in general is the heart and soul of a security ops program. Because it's that thing that receives all the data and then really sends the next step out somewhere. Whether that next step is go destroy this machine or re respond. It's that thing in the middle. It's the brain. So... I want to make that as, as good as I can possibly make it and uh, empower our teams to just focus on the things that matter that are 
security relevant for that. Jack, is there anything I didn't ask you that I should have or anything you wanted to say that I forgot to give you the chances? I can plug, I can give a plug really fast. I'm Go ahead, yeah. Looking, we launched something really recently that I'm really happy about, which is that you can go to Panther and you can get a 30-day trial by just clicking a button. And with that, you'll be able to manage all your security logs. It automatically normalizes them and it manages the underlying data warehouse. So it's basically an infinitely scalable log management solution, which is awesome. You can do threat detection and enrichment, and you can use the detection as code. You can plug that into your CI/CD pipelines, which is great for compliance, things like that. Um, all, again, for free. It comes with, not for free, but you don't have to build it. Yeah. And then the last part of that is you can query this data as far back as you have it. It's SQL, so if you've never done SQL, it's just a very structured way of querying our data versus it being like, I'm going to drop a random string in a search box. Right. The benefit of that, of course, being scale. And over time, we'll see that evolve and become easier and easier. But the underlying tech that Panther is built on is so important for setting us up for future success and mm-hmm. for solving a lot of the problems that we have today around high cost, high ops overhead, et cetera. So Give it a try, hack on it. You can write some Python in the UI. You can ship it by clicking a button and then you instantly can stream your data as whatever scale it is in real time, which is really sweet. And then you can plug into things like your Slack, your Jira, your Asana, whatever it is. And you can also pull data from Okta, from AWS, obviously, from GCP, from a ton of different SaaS platforms and really bring it all into one place. And Very cool. My whole hope is that people stop building this themselves and managing it themselves because it's a lot of work and a lot of pain. And we've been thinking about it for four years straight so far. And we have a team of over 150 people thinking about it every day. We love to hear feedback as well. Our product team is always talking to customers every week and getting more on the ground feedback. So if you guys have that, like we have a Slack community as well. And you can ask us instantly and we'll respond. So we're here to help. I want security practitioners to know that we're not a vendor you have to be afraid of. A lot of us are ex-security people who are just now building this platform for you. Mm. And that's my goal. And that's all my focus is going to be. By security people for security people. Exactly. (laughs) Hey, Jack Naglieri of Panther. Thank you so much for coming on and speaking to us on Security Ledger Podcast. It's really been a pleasure. Likewise. Thanks, Paul. Jack Naglieri is the co-founder and CEO of Panther, a maker of next-generation SIM technology. This episode of the Security Ledger podcast has been sponsored by Panther. Panther was founded by a team of security practitioners who face the challenges of security operations at scale and set out to build a platform to solve them. The result was Panther, a modern SIM platform for security operations at scale. Panther gives security teams the power to detect any breach anywhere and is trusted by customers like Snowflake, Dropbox, Zapier, and more. Learn more at panther.com.